Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump, our weekly discussion with people who have experienced or undergone a spiritual awakening. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Hillary Jordan. And uh, I don't really have a bee in my bonnet this week about some topic that I want to do a monologue about at the beginning of this show. So I think we're going to get right into it. But I just, one little point I wanted to make is that the whole, the idea of spiritual awakening as we define it on this show is uh, not a set of beliefs or a, a conviction that one has kind of learned about or, or adopted in life, but rather uh, a conscious discovery. The general dis definition, as most of my guests have brought it out, seems to be the conscious discovery of consciousness or pure awareness as one's essential nature. And as you may have noticed, if, you're, if you've been watching this show, everyone seems to experience that and express their experience in unique ways. And I think that's good and interesting. Um, and as a matter of fact, as one of my guests pointed out, it almost might be a criterion for general spiritual, uh, genuine spiritual awakening that you're using your own words to describe it and not just repeating something you've heard somebody say. So I guess I did have a little monologue, but that's it. So. Uh, Again, my guest this week is Hillary Jordan. And Hillary, why don't we start out by just uh, having you give us a little bit of biographical information about yourself, you know, what you do, where you're from, that kind of thing. Okay, so I was born in California, and I came here five years ago for MUM. And here meaning Fairfield, Iowa, and yeah, MUM Fairfield, meaning Iowa. Marshy University mm -hmm. of Management. Okay. Yeah, and then um, I went to MUM for three years, and I got another BA and a master's degree, and then I went and was on the Invincible America course for a couple of years. Invincible, define that. The Invincible America course <laughs> is part of the Transcendental Meditation Movement, and uh, we all meditate together in the dome and, um, for quite a few hours a day. And, and the dome is a, a couple of big domes that have been built on campus for dome, the pe people to meditate together. People in. meditate together. and. Um, I was actually on that for a year, and mm -hmm. then I went to massage school, and um, I've been teaching dance for two years here, and I, um, I work at the Raj right now, which is another place where we do uh, Panchakarma, which is an Ayurvedic technique of uh, massage and um, purification, so it kind of is something that's also part of the Transcendental Meditation Movement. Um, but I actually also studied Ayurveda in California, at California College of Ayurveda, and I've done a lot of holistic health training and stuff, so, mm. and I'm trying to get my massage license right now and just mm. do massage out of my house, and I just really like Fairfield, so that's why I'm here still. Mm. What BA and MA did you get? Um, I got two BAs, actually. I got a BA in um, a special major, which was dance, psychology, holistic health, and theater mm. at San Francisco State in 2001, mm -hmm. and then... Um, I went to California College of Ayurveda, and then I worked with emotionally disturbed children, actually, in mental health um, for a couple years in California, and I went to MUM then and got a second BA in physiology and health, and then I got a master's degree in um, Vedic science, which is um, the science of consciousness, and then after that I, what did I do after that? I went. And was on the Invisible America course and did some lots of meditation. Like yeah, yeah, good. And these days you teach dance, 
Yes. And you do massages. I do massages. And you do so we work at the Raj right now. Doing you, yeah, karma, you do Panchakarma, which is part of Ayurveda, and that, those are the three main things you do, right? Yeah, I I'd like to just yeah I'd like to expand eventually and do more you know holistic health type counseling and mm -hmm. I really into herbs and all that kind of thing. So cool. I'm gonna have and I've developed my own energy work, so I do that too now. And what so. do you do? What's that? What do you do with that? Um, that's like, there's a lot of different forms of energy work and I've studied only basic Reiki and, um, you know, cranial sacral and things like that, but it's really not, my own form of energy work isn't really like those. Um, I kind of just found that I had a talent for kind of creating an atmosphere for somebody when I was massaging people, because I've massaged people for a good amount of years because I went to massage school in California also. I, mm -hmm. I missed that part. You mentioned so that. I, yeah, I, I, tra I trained to be a Panchakarma tech actually in California, mm. so I ended up having to go to massage school. Mm. So I think I'm just really attracted to the magical side of life, and so I kind of fi figured out how to um, just kind of focus a certain kind of energy on somebody and mm -hmm. um, it's pretty subtle. It's not something that people always know that's happening mm -hmm. to them or not. Um, but I've gotten some pretty good results. People mm -hmm. tend to have um, some noticeable qualities happen. So. Okay. Now, so that you described to us what we might call the objective side of your life, the things that people could observe, the activities and the education right, and yeah. so on. So l now let's shift to the subjective and try to, you know, maybe you could give us a rundown on you know, your history with that and touching upon the most significant milestones leading up to the present. Okay, so my history with the subjective? Yeah, you know, inner, <laughs> um, well, well that's always interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it's, ab um, it's more abstract. Yeah, it's, it kind of starts for everybody in childhood, right? So right. I guess I wasn't really particularly different than anyone in childhood. I think, um, I definitely had a thing where I would go into my room and dance for mm -hmm. an invisible audience. Mm -hmm. and um, You and Michael Jackson. Me yeah. and Michael Jackson. <laughs> and my boyfriend has pointed out that he thinks that I actually had some feeling for other beings in other realms or something, that mm -hmm. I was like dancing for, you know, when my, you own were young. Little, my own little angels or I something, see. you I know. See. So I like, I like to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, I still feel kind of like, I feel like I've been going more into that um, realm of like the imagination land when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually real and people just pretend when they get older that it's not. And mm -hmm. so we tell ourselves that uh, the, like this is all that's real, like this table in front of me or anything that we can see is all that's real mm -hmm. and it's not really true. So. So I'm, I'm a lot more, um, yeah, I'm trying to explore, you know, mm -hmm. other realms and stuff, but. So, but, so you were a child and you, you know, you danced and then, and then at what, you know, normal teenage life? Oh, uh, I, I was a horrible teenager. Okay. Um, I gave my parents a really hard time. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. <laughs> just found out that in human design that I'm a projector, so that mm. means that I take in all of everything that everybody gives me and then multiply it and give it back to them. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I really gave it to my family mm -hmm. pretty good. And um, 
they're just not getting over it. But um, and I created my own dance company in high school. So I was very outward, mm -hmm. you know. Once I got older, my family taught me that. Your parents were meditators, weren't they? My parents were meditators um, until I was three. Mm -hmm. So, when so when I was conceived, and for my first three years, they were meditators, mm -hmm. and they stopped when my sister was born. Mm -hmm. Just got too busy or something. If or? Leslie ever watches this, I'm sorry, but it's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, she, she was a crazy kid. She knows this. Like uh. she, she, um, yeah, she was just too much. I think for them to meditate. Uh -huh. But no, it's just, it's just they didn't, they didn't feel drawn to it anymore. You know, they. My dad meditates on planes sometimes still, right. so. <laughs> and, um, and so when did you first kind of get explicitly, in, or interested in explicitly spiritual type things? You know, you, it suddenly dawned on you that you wanted to meditate or pursue that sort of thing. Well, my first, what I've traced back is that um, my first kind of bad memories are from when my parents stopped meditating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I, I remember is that, that when I was about three or so, or somewhere around there, um, shortly before we moved, there was a, like a really bad feeling and I got all these phobias and I was really scared mm -hmm. of spiders and mm -hmm. bees and the kids across the street were scaring me. You and think that had anything to do with your parents stopping meditating? It just felt, I, yeah, I feel like it did. Because huh. it, it felt less, less comfortable and mm -hmm. I'm very sensitive energetically to atmosphere and that's something that I've been trying to deny my whole life but it's just not it's just true you know so I actually take in what is around me in the so the atmosphere they were creating was a little less coherent yeah it was just yeah um, but you know I was bound to have my own right. I was bound to have my own fears and everything anyway but yeah. um, but I do think that has me do with it and we moved and I was like a crazy like phobic kid for a little while mm -hmm. Um, but, but I was always, you know, I was always, um, I had a lot of fun and I bossed other kids around and stuff, so, you know. <laughs> um, so then I got, what happened was I had a really hard, I just, we have some chemical, emotional stuff in our family and I had a really hard time when I was a teenager. Um, I know most people tend towards that anyway, but. Um, I, I just kind of, um, I just knew that there was something more to life than just um, what's going on the outside all the time. And I was taught, I was taught that it's just this, it's just what we see and everything. And um, that it's all, that life is very outward and so, um, and I created my own dance company in high school which was the most, was still one of the coolest experiences of my life, you know. But I was extremely emotionally disturbed the whole time, so mm. <laughs> so I um, had a really hard time. Didn't get along with people very well, and uh, found a boy who was a meditator. Mm. <laughs> so I ended up my first boyfriend was a meditator, and his whole family meditated, oh. and so I started to. I actually asked my dad at um, dinner some day, some night. I asked my dad, you know. If he, I said something about how my boyfriend was a meditator, that his family did that, and my dad said, "Oh, what kind of meditation does he do?" And so it was TM. It was TM. Mm -hmm. So it was all um, very synchronous. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> did your was your dad a teacher? Did he teach you or somebody else? No, no. He he was just. It was back in the '70s when they learned, and there weren't yeah. 
so many teachers, and I think he was going to be a checker or something. Right. But um, so then you you learned to meditate, and how old were you then? So I learned to meditate, but not until I was 19. Okay. Yeah, I went to I, I first went to UC Santa Cruz and had a nervous breakdown and had to come home because mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't deal with the fact that I didn't have a dance company anymore. <laughs> 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 and. Uh, so then my dad came, he was very nice. He came and picked me up and was like, okay, let's take you home. And I told him that I was interested in learning to meditate because I had already gotten some guy from the TM movement to come to UC Santa Cruz and give us introductory lectures and preparatory lectures and all that stuff. And I was still the only person interested, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like, there were a lot of people interested until they learned about the money right. part, and then they were like, that's it, you know. Nice. So... Um, so my dad was really, really sweet and paid for me to meditate, mm -hmm. and um, and then yeah. So then I started meditating, and I went to San Francisco State, mm -hmm. and I got all into the holistic health program there, which is really cool. So did your personality change much when you learned to meditate? Did things oh yeah, out? yeah, a mm -hmm. lot, lot smoother. Um, my mom noticed. I think everybody, my sister especially, noticed right away that I was different. Um, and I remember my mom saying before I learned to meditate that I needed to see a counselor mm -hmm. and that I had an artistic personality. Mm. <laughs> euphemism. Yeah. yeah. And then I learned to meditate and things were starting to, you know, smooth out and she stopped. She, no, she didn't say anything about it. After that, <laughs> so. right. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you're, did you, when you learned to meditate, aside from your behavior and emotional state smoothing out, did you have any particularly noteworthy inner experiences that, you know? Well, my first meditation was really pretty um, amazing because I remember closing my eyes and this light coming down from on top of me, kind of, and it, it felt like leaves falling from trees, mm -hmm. only they were made of light. Hmm. And it was very... Um, kind of like those things in... Avatar, floating yeah, <laughs> it was very peaceful, and yeah. um, I always I do think about that because mm. I think that that first meditation has uh, something to do with the person, and mm. it's very prophetic, you know, and mm. people end up thinking about that again. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely after that I just slept a whole bunch and mm. <laughs> unstressed, Felt as we call better. it, de-stressing, you right. know the process of becoming cranky and then yeah. blaming it on meditation. <laughs> <laughs> and so fast forwarding a little bit, um, you know, now you uh, say that you have undergone a spiritual awakening or whatever terminology we want to use. So um, what brought that about and how long, how long were you meditating before that happened? Uh, I was meditating for about 10 year, 10 or 11 years. Mm -hmm. This ha only happened, I'm very much a baby in this sense. I, this only happened like the August before last, so a year and a half ago. Okay, and now it's January of, of 2010, so mm -hmm. about a year and a half. So it happened yeah. August of 2008. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we're, I'm actually not sure now if it had happened before that and I just wasn't totally sure. Mm -hmm. There was something very mild that happened at first and then um, I had this dramatic thing happen in August mm. a year and a half ago so the very mild thing that happened that I noticed was that I um, 
just would wake up and I would realize that it wasn't really that different being awake than being asleep. And, um, and I just remember feeling a little bit lighter and a little bit happier. Mm-hmm. And then um, in August of that year, I was in the dome and I had a big, a big uh, hoorah kind of so <laughs> experience. So you were doing your usual meditation thing in the dome and ho-hum, yeah. n- same day as, you know, same as any other day, but all of a sudden, kablam. Yeah, well, interestingly, I had stopped meditating very much. Mm-hmm. I had just gone to a very small program to go to massage school. Mm-hmm. And... Um, small cro- program, and you were doing short... Just med- short meditations. Yeah. And the thing was that I had started working seriously on my, my emotions and um, really feeling what was present and mm-hmm. then... Just in your own way or did you go through some kind of yeah, technique? Yeah, my boyfriend practice? Dan helped me. We started, I started doing that like two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started doing that two and a half years ago and um, I would just kind of feel what was there and um, really like look at my actions and my feelings and see what the common thread is because usually there's one thing, there's like a theme that's happening at any given time Mm. and everything's going to that. It's kind of like you could call it a lesson or something along those lines but it's just this this theme that's coming up that is something, it's the next thing to let go of basically. So so you kind of pay more attention to what you're going through emotionally and stuff and that was kind of help. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I'm just. And so that sort yeah. of helped to work some things out. Yeah. Yeah. Because what had happened actually was that I was doing really long programs in the dome on the Invincible America course, and I was. Long just programs meaning you were doing long meditation periods. Right, okay. right. I was doing long periods of meditation, and I always exercise and everything, so I, I wasn't having a lot of the problems with meditating for a long. I can meditate forever. That's never been a problem for me. I, mm. I like meditating a lot. But I think that's always because it's been balanced by, you know, dancing and exercise too. Um, but I just, I just felt like I was, I wasn't going anywhere fast. Mm. And then um, I re- I also had a pattern where I would get out of the dome, and a certain point after I would get out of the dome, I would just freak out, just, <laughs> just, you know, and it's what we call. And stressing usually, we're just supposed to not pay attention to it and mm-hmm. just let it go, you know. But um, you mean like several hours after leaving the dome or something? You mean when you say get out of the dome? Or? Yeah, I mean, it, being on the Invincible America course is intense for most people, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of you know unstressing, emotional unstressing that happens. Yeah. Um, but how many hours a day do people meditate on this Invincible America course? Or it's not, like not just meditation, but the whole package. I mean, it's about six hours a day, I think, yeah. you know. Um, and some people are doing this for months or even years on end. Yeah, and right. I did it for two years, actually, because part of my master's was doing that, too. Two years solid? Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a bit. I mean, I took a break to go home yeah. and stuff, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but I, just real, I just felt like um, I was sitting there and I was getting rest and I was maintaining and I was, you know, I was growing, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was growing as fast as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And um, I would always have these emotional problems when I wasn't in the dome because there's so much unstressing. Volatile, angry, and crying. Angry, and upset, sad, you yeah, name it. Like any, you know, anxious, mm-hmm. fearful, all, you know. Mm. 
And I kind of knew that it was, you know, a little extreme. Um, and I was reading, the when I was on my master's, I was reading Sanskrit also, which is another purification technique. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was like ready to go drink <laughs> a bottle of whiskey sometimes, like seriously. <laughs> yeah. um, but, <laughs> but so, I, I just, when I met Dan, I knew that I wanted to work more on what was actually going on emotionally with me. Mm -hmm. And he's really, I mean, I, I'd already known him for a while. I didn't just meet him, but he, when I got together with him, he helped me do that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. he, um, he was always helping me actually, even when I was his friend mm -hmm. before that. But it just, you can only go so long associating all of your emotions with what is actually you know, going on in your relative life. Mm. Like those things that are happening in your relative life are not connected. It's like we're just keeping ourselves in a loop and a loop by always associating our emotions with what's happening to us in the outside world because what's happening to us in the outside world isn't actually real compared to what's mm. happening in the inside, you know, it's yeah. like we're manifesting in the outside world what's what's inside of us and so... That's an important point, I think it might bear a little discussion. I mean, I, I guess what you're saying is usually people, you know, I'm mad at this person, I'm upset about that thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm upset with the government, I'm upset with my husband, I'm, I'm upset with the, you know, my financial situation or or, you know, not, not only negative things like upset, maybe, you know, oh, I, I really love this person and I, you know, I need to be with this person or I'm yeah. jealous because I'm not with this person and so-and-so is. And all these emotions are all kind of defined by external circumstances. And what you're saying is it's not so much the, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not so much the external circumstances which are causing the emotions, mm -hmm. it's the emotional stuff coming up finding something that to attach itself to because it doesn't want to just have an abs doesn't want to exist in the abstract it wants to sort of justify its existence yeah. by you know latching onto something yeah totally and, and yeah. so y what you're saying i uh, is you kind of broke out of that you know blind attachment to external circumstances as the cause of what you're going through and mm -hmm. began to kind of look inward a little bit yeah. and discover that you know it wasn't so much the circumstance as the thing itself that, that you're, the emotion you're feeling that needed to be dealt with. Yeah, okay. exactly. That's right. And it's one of those things that it takes forever to actually master. This. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an, a whole technique in itself. It's like riding a bicycle. You can never stop balancing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going along and something happens to you. You feel like something's happened to you, but mm -hmm. really it hasn't happened to you. It's you, something that you're doing inside of yourself. Mm -hmm. and. And so it's so easy to just react to the outside world, you know. Well-established habit. Yeah, it just, it's just that this is all not as real as what we think it is, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were going through, we're back in sort of uh, approaching August 2008, and you had been kind of dealing with or looking at emotions and working a lot of stuff out with the help of Dan. Yeah your boyfriend, who we're going to get on the show sooner or later. And, uh, and then, you know, lead us up to this, you know, Lollapalooza event. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's so fitting because I did go to Lollapalooza like three times when I was a teenager. Yeah. 
What is Lollapalooza? Is Lollapalooza is a, fa a fabulous festival of, of grunge rock back oh, in the 90s. Oh, I didn't 90s. even know that. <laughs> oh. oh, see? But the cameraman knows it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the one with Beastie Boys. I went to the one with, yeah. you know, the Smashing Pumpkins. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, uh, um, I was in the dome and I was doing our yogic flying technique, mm -hmm. which looks more like hopping mm -hmm. um, around in a little circle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, just, I just had a, I think what happens is that you grow up to a point and then you have to surrender. This is what I'm learning, is mm -hmm. that there's a point where you're ready and you have to just surrender and let go of something and then something really cool happens if you can, you know, because that, that's a faster way in some ways of, of evolving is the surrender, mm. I think, but that's what I, I don't know, that was my experience. I, I just sat there and I think I was having a bunch of issues about energy. I was in massage school and I was trying not to take on other people's energy. There in the dome? In massage, oh, actually. In massage, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would be in massage, and then I would get out of massage, and I would feel kind of depleted, yeah. and so there was something, and I think that, um, I'm giving Dan so much credit here, I think, <laughs> I think He's an awesome guy. Dan, We're just building an suspense, awesome guy, you know, for the Dan interview. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, it's all your energy, you yeah. know, and it's true, yeah. and I think that really clicked something for me, and I just, I just surrendered, like... I don't care anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down to most of the time is like, I just don't care anymore. It doesn't have to be a certain way. I'm not, I'm not going to be attached to it, mm -hmm. you know? Not insisting that things happen any particular way. Yeah. Yeah. Or loving what is, as Byron Katie would put it. Yeah. So, so you're there in the dome, hopping around, and, and right then and there you had this shift in attitude of don't care anymore? Is that what you're saying? I just, yeah. I, I said, you know what? I said something to God, like, I surrender... I don't care anymore, mm. <laughs> you know, it's okay, whatever, uh -huh. whatever's got to happen, I'm just too tired to keep, you know, keep being struggling. attached and struggling yeah. and, you know, having, yeah. I don't know, mm -hmm. other people's energy or my energy or whatever, it was just like too much identification of things, you know. And so and, what happened? Um, so I just had this, I, if I remember correctly, it was like a pink waves of bliss and I saw a lot of things mm -hmm. happen, you know. Um, kind of I actually saw Maharshi and Gurudev mm -hmm. then, which is interesting to me because even though I greatly appreciate them, they're not, um, mm -hmm. they're not really part of my path anymore. Right. Um, but I think I was, you know, giving thanks or something mm -hmm. to the opportunity I had. and. So I saw, you know, a lot of celestial kind of visions like gold and pink and lotuses and gurus and, <laughs> you know, like, kinds of stuff. and there was ocean waves going on. And I think I opened my eyes and saw people's, you know, people's uh, faces looking like gold. Mm. That, that's happened to me a few times in the dome. And I just had so much, I just, all of a sudden my physiology changed and that's the important thing mm -hmm. to me is like when it's really solid and physical and you can feel it. How did it change? Um, I just, huge weight lifted and mm. just felt like my whole body was lighter and healthier, had more energy. Um, 
and I just felt more unbounded, you know. Mm -hmm. And it never went back? It never went away. I kept thinking, it might go away. (laughs) (laughs) Like I went and I talked to my friend Mm -hmm. and I walked around with him and I was like thinking to myself, it's still here, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I didn't want to talk to you about it because I don't want to, you know, disturb anyone about <laughs> what's going on in terms of my state of consciousness. Usually, you know, it's like some people really find it disturbing. <laughs> so, so far you've defined that experience in terms of things you were seeing, like celestial stuff and everything, and a change that you felt occur in your physiology. Yeah. Is there more to it? Um, I just remember taking my pulse and it felt completely different. You know, mm-hmm. I, I learned how to take pulse in Ayurved class. Um, it's a technique of this Indian holistic health that I learned. And mm-hmm. it just, it, what, what we would call ojas was there everywhere now and it was clearer defined. and it was, ojas is um, like a strength, like a strength of your immune system. Mm-hmm. and. It's just a clarity and a strength to your physiology in general. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's a gentleness there too, like things aren't so rough for you. Um, So that was there and it was just completely different. It was like taking the pulse of a dead person before Mm. and then taking the pulse of someone alive. That's how it felt to me Mm. was, and and I had other people do it just to see, you know, if it was, what kind really of stuff? Real, like when you read people's pulse or your own pulse, do you pick up a lot of information? Yeah, there's a lot of information. There's tons and tons of information there, and I don't feel even like I can, you know, I I don't gather all of it when I take somebody's pulse, but um, I usually just get an intuition mm-hmm. about something when I'm taking somebody's pulse, and it's usually the thing that is important for them at that time or something. Right. It's not normally like everything that's going on in their entire body. Um, that's not how I work apparently, but there are Vijas who can take your mm-hmm. pulse and tell you everything about you if you have yeah, enough time. I've been and with them. Money and yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was this guy in India that was amazing. <laughs> but um, in any case, the reason I asked you that about you know the, the fact that you defined your experience so far in terms of um, perceptual things and in terms of physiological changes is that most people when they talk about spiritual awakenings don't mention those things so much. They, they talk more about you know, self-realization or some kind of realization of who they really are as consciousness, that mm-hmm. kind of terminology. Yeah. Was that there too or what? Well actually I do want to say that I think in other movements, like in the TM movement there's a very hierarchical structure of cosmic consciousness, God consciousness, unity consciousness, Brahman consciousness, and stages these, you go these are stages you go through one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in other movements, like I've been reading Adyashanti's books lately, uh, they don't consider that you've woken up until you would be in what Maharshi would consider Brahman consciousness. So, which is um, that's when you're really not deluded anymore ever by the the relative world. It's like you're always in your, you always know that your real self is everything, that you are everything, you are the universe, you are God, everything. Experientially, right. Yeah, experientially, and um, I do feel like I'm getting very close to that, but mm-hmm. um, but I think in Maharshi's terminology, I would still be in between mm-hmm. unity and Brahman, so. Um, well, so when you look at things, 
do they think look like things, or do you see them all in some other sense that you think that maybe people in general don't see the world around them? They look like things to me, just like they look like to everybody else. But there's like a a little bit more of a transparency now mm -hmm. than there used to be. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not as sure that they're so solid anymore as mm -hmm. they used to be. Um, I'm not as sure sometimes that I can't like even put my hand through something, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, it's not it's not really that dramatic all the time. You just go about and you live mm -hmm. your life and it's not that different, mm -hmm. you know. But there's these interchanges happening. Like when I close my eyes, it's a lot different than it used to be when I close my eyes. Yeah. So, so that's definitely something that you can't miss. I mean. <laughs> now, some people say that, you know, prior to their awakening, and I'm not, I don't mean to lead the witness, so to speak, but some people say that prior to their awakening, uh, you know, they, they understood or perceived themselves to be merely this flesh-encased entity, you know, mm -hmm. which was born, which is living, which will die, which is here and not there. Yeah. And, you know, that after their awakening, they said, okay, well, I am that. Mm -hmm. I am a, 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 a human being, obviously, but I'm also something else. Yeah. Uh, and the two co coexist quite comfortably. Yeah. Does, can you I concur with that? or is that didn't is quite it? have that uh -huh. same sense of unboundedness when I first woke up. Uh -huh. um, but now if <laughs> now it's a little bit, it's not all the way integrated, mm -hmm. but I do feel like I am, I'm not just, just this anymore. It's, huh. it's like, especially if I close my eyes, I actually feel like I'm God. Huh. Um, <laughs> what does he feel like? <laughs> but <laughs> I actually, I actually, yeah, actually for me, it feels better to say goddess for mm -hmm. some reason, but that's just my own personality, I think. And um, yeah, when I... When I feel like I, you know, if I put attention on it, I always feel like I'm the goddess or like I'm the universe mm -hmm. and like I'm everything that Is exists. Is that what you mean by, I mean, some people hear, hear somebody say, I feel like I'm God, and they think, whoa. I know, so I know. What, what That's why uh, I kind of like laughed. better elaborate on what you mean by that. <laughs> I really don't want people like just getting that sound bite, you know, yeah. <laughs> from this. Um, but yeah, I, I guess... It's just that everybody is the same thing, right? you know, and it's really that simple in a lot of ways. I mean, you can use a bunch of flowery language to describe it, but it's just that there's this one thing and I am that even though you are also that and so is everything else, you know. It's yeah, so when you say you, have, you feel like I am God or I am Goddess, you are referring to, and again, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but you're, you're referring to, you know, your status as, as something larger, something more universal, something deeper, or, yeah. is that what? But, you know, it, when you use those words, mm -hmm. I, I think people can get caught in, like, what's the actual solid physical kind of experience of that? I mean, like, I really like to emphasize that for me, it's a just a physical thing. Like I, I close my eyes, and there's the center of the universe in front of me, mm -hmm. and I only know that's the center of the universe because it doesn't make sense that it's anything else, really. <laughs> well, wait a minute. How can <laughs> the, if the center of the universe is in front of you, then yeah. are you a little bit off center? Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of like right where my heart would be. Ah. It's like, and for some reason, that's a little bit out here right now. Huh. <laughs> but you know, 
to each his own. I think it's just, it could be just a stage, but. And is there really that much of a difference between having your eyes open and closing your eyes in terms of this experience? Well, I think that it's just that my clo what happens to me when my eyes are closed is mm -hmm. the same as when it, they're open, but I'm just not experiencing it as much when my eyes are open right now because I'm still living in this dream yeah. state, so to speak, where everybody's just to it as, separate as and closely or something. Yeah, it's like my attention isn't as on it, right. you know, yet. And I think that it's going to be pretty dramatic, actually, in my in my everyday life once it integrates fully, or I don't know how else to say it, but... Actually, I would suggest that it probably won't be dramatic when it integrates fully. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> true, maybe. Kind of ordinary. Yeah, when it integrates fully, it'll probably <laughs> just be like, no big deal, you know. <laughs> how but about when you're dancing? Do you, what do you notice then? Um, um, and, how did, and how did this awakening that happened in August of 08 affect your dancing? That's a good question, actually. I, I think it just... What I've noticed when I'm dancing, especially lately, is just that I have so much more bliss than I used to. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a um, airy-fairy, blissful kind of person all the time. It's, it's, it's not like I'm searching for bliss, which I really um, appreciate, but it's not something that I'm like, I'm, I want truth is what I want. And so if bliss is a side effect, then that's cool, you know? Mm -hmm. And I totally am getting that side effect um, especially when I dance lately. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then just my dancing got a lot better mm -hmm. in general. I think I just feel more confident because there's less going on that's, in, that's hindering me now. Yeah. And it's almost, you can almost explain it psychologically in a lot of ways because there's less issues like keeping me from being confident or keeping me from, from uh, being able to get a step or Mm -hmm. you know, do something because I don't have this idea in my head that I can't do it or mm -hmm. that there's something in the way yeah. of being able to do it, so. feel more f liberated or something. Yeah, I just feel like whatever it is, I can probably figure it out, you know? Mm. <laughs> At least in the area of dance because I've been doing it my whole life. You know, the, the other areas of my life are a little bit slower to get to that point, I think, but. Mm. Do you ever get like really tired or, or maybe get the flu or something and, and get to the point where you feel like, I'm just the same old schmo as I ever was, you know. I, oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it always, I think it, I don't feel like my body's never going to get, like there's going to be a point where I'm never going to get sick or something, right. you know, and be like this magical person who flies around or something. But, um, but I do, I have noticed that sleep, whether I get enough sleep or not affects me less now. Mm -hmm. And um, I can just kind of function, if I have to, on a lot less than I was able to before. Mm -hmm. um, and I've noticed that if I get sick, I'm not as upset about it. I don't have as many feelings and attachments to what's going on on the outside. So I just kind of know, oh, that's what's happening right now, mm -hmm. a lot of the time now. Um, yeah. It's not fun. I don't like being, you know, right. it's not like, like I, you know. And it's not like, I don't get the impression that you've gotten good at adopting an attitude of acceptance. It's more like, you know, you kind of shifted in a way that en has enabled you to be more accepting. You know, something changed. Yeah. And, and, uh, and kind of spontaneously, you are more, super, more f flowing, more accepting, more frictionless. Yeah. You know. And the thing about it is that it's gradual. You know, it's... Right it progresses all the time. So, right. I mean, when I first woke up, 
it wasn't, I mean, it was amazing physically, but then I would still, I, I still have gotten sick quite a few times and mm -hmm. it's been horrible, you know, but it, I've noticed that it's getting easier, um, just life in general is getting easier as it goes on. So, yeah. so um, yeah, so there's just like a feeling of um, less and less, you know, difficulty. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I still go through these cycles where there's a new issue. There's mm -hmm. a new something that needs to be paid attention to, so, mm -hmm. so. My sense of things, you know, from my experience and talking to people and reading things and, and everything else is that, you know, for most people at least, there are degrees of awakening. There are multiple awakenings. And um, even Adyashanti, whom you mentioned, who is a you know, very popular spiritual teacher these days, he had a big awakening when he was 25. Mm -hmm. And then he went through all kinds of stuff. For yeah. number, and then when he was about 33, he had another one, which is much more profound and yeah. complete. Um, and I think it's probably, and, and that's not to say that there only needs to be two major ones for anybody. That it, I think it just comes in as many flavors as there yeah. are people. And some people seem to have these real dramatic, abrupt shifts, you know, where they, uh, it's a night and day difference all of a sudden. And others, they, it seems to be gradual and mm -hmm. almost imperceptible. And, and it's kind of a combination of both, too, sometimes. Because yeah. I, I, I keep thinking that I'm going to fit into a set um, system or th th some philosophy or there's going to be a hierarchy where I can find myself. And I, could, I can usually figure out something when I <laughs> look at that stuff with my mind, you know, and try mm -hmm. to fit myself into a hierarchy. But, but it's, um, it's just not really totally linear like that. Things don't go like yeah. that and I've accepted that it's not and I've noticed that there's an awakening you know and then there's another one and that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a certain state of consciousness yet and then there's another one and then there's another one you know it just yeah. keeps going on and on kind of and so I you know I've had a lot of them yeah <laughs> but um, in fact I, you know every every time I come here every week, you know, my wife asks me, who are you going to interview this week? And I say, so-and-so. And, -so. and, and they say, is she awake? Is he awake? Uh, and at, fir at first she was saying it like, oh, so they think they're enlightened? And I thought, and I say, no, not exactly, you know? And but I, I kind of kept insisting on using the terminology carefully, and now she's sort of got it, and she says, oh, so th they feel like they've had an awakening? And I said, yeah, they, they do. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, great. Uh, but, you know, my sense of that and the, way, the reason I try to be careful about the terminology is that I don't, you know, my own, I'm willing to be corrected if, if I'm wrong, but that there's no sense of finality to that. I mean, maybe there are sort of a final, there is some sort of final awakening that a person can have and they're mm. going to say, that's it, there's, there's nothing more that's going to unfold for me. But so far none of the people I've interviewed feel that. Although one thing that has come out with some of the people is that you know, as far as consciousness is concerned, that doesn't seem to develop any. It, it in and of itself is not something which gets bigger or anything else. But what does develop is our ability to reflect it. Mm -hmm. You know, the clarity with which we appreciate it. Um, and, you know, there, there may be no end to that. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, I think it might have even been my guest last week who said, yeah, on, on the one hand, no, nothing's gonna, nothing changes. There are no mm -hmm. further developments. On the other hand, everything's constantly changing and developing. Yeah. yeah, and I don't actually, you know, I have my own personality, and my, my personality believes that there is no end to evolution, you know, because I don't see anything around me just stopping, yeah. you know? <laughs> I think, and that, it, that does seem to be something that, I can, you know, attach myself to. No, I'm kidding. Mm. I, I don't know. I just, Makes I, I, I just see that there's, that everybody, even when they, they might think that they've had a final awakening, seems like they keep growing to me, you mm -hmm. know, and that's really cool. I think because I don't ever want to stop growing. I think it would be boring. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so there is. I think there is a more complete awakening as somebody like Adi Shanti or a bunch of these people who've written books I think they would say that there's there's a like a initial one like he says and then a more complete one and I do feel like I'm rounding over the complete one kind of pretty, pretty cool. soon because I, I have such dramatic things happen you know at night or like when I close my eyes but mm. but it hasn't all bled into the rest of my you know, everyday waking life yet. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, I think it's important for people to realize that it comes in so many different flavors, because I've seen it happen, and I've done this myself at times in my life, that you sort of get a, what you feel is a, a clear understanding of how things are supposed to unfold, and then, or you hear somebody else talking about their experiences, and if your experience doesn't conform to that, and you think, well, I'm, I'm really nowhere, you know, yeah. that they have such good experiences. And you've you got to sort of realize that, you know, yours is just, you are, yours is yours. You yeah. Know? And it's going to be different for every person. Yeah. It took me a long time to get that because I was part of the TM movement. And whenever you're part of a movement, there's so much... Um, doctrine? Yeah, there's so much doctrine to believe in and to think that, you know, you yeah, have to fit yourself you into this, like you this, then you have this. Yeah. yeah, like that. That this is going to happen to you, and then this is going to happen to you, and that's so that's kind of comforting in a way because you can just sit back and wait for those things to happen to you, and that's what right. I was doing for a while. You know, I was like, right. it's okay, I don't need to be there right now, but I just know that it's going to happen because so and so said right. so. You know, well, there are people in this town who've been waiting for those things to happen to them for forty years now, and. Uh, and I would argue that in many cases those things have happened to them and they, but, <laughs> but yeah. what, what has happened doesn't conform to their conception of what yeah. was supposed to happen yeah. and so they're kind of looking for something that they've actually already found not realizing that their conception of it you know, mm -hmm. is, is different than the actuality of it. Yeah, and that actually, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this interview with you is because right. I feel like that it's a little bit sad for everybody to sit around and want, want something that they're not allowing themselves to have, kind of, even though they don't know they're not allowing themselves to have it. It's, 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 um, it's really not as extraordinary, I don't think, anymore. Mm. I think it's going to start being pretty commonplace pretty yeah. soon, because I feel like the world is changing a lot, and I feel like um, it's, just a it's just a feeling of being that's there with you all the time, mm. and when you can when people recognize that, then everything else just builds on that. That's like a foundation, you know, for for really living in reality instead of in um, the state of 
of like misery kind of you know I mean yeah. it, living in in the relative where all of these things in front of us are so real that we have to conform to them and that we have to I mean fit into them and it's just it's so sad like it it just hurts you know mm. <laughs> and um, so and and I think there was a point that you said before that I think is important and that is that I think a lot of people think that they're going to become something more like that that and there there is a sense of expanding but that comes from letting go you know and that's really that's that's the only thing that I know for sure in a lot of this is that mm. I'm just letting go of more and more things that were keeping me boxed into a small space and where I was thinking that I was very small and um, when you let go of those barriers you start feeling bigger and bigger mm -hmm. and you realize that you were always big the whole time and you just didn't know mm. and so that's I think it's really just about for me at least it's just about letting go it's just about you know letting go of what's in the way of feeling all of that all the time and it's a hard process in some ways because it, those emotional things are most of the time <laughs> what are standing in the way you know <laughs> it seems like sometimes letting go is a combination of both volition and a kind of a, a, a force that's making it happen anyway and yeah. the volition part is you know to what extent we want to co co cooperate with the process yeah. as, as opposed to struggle with it or yeah, know, resist yeah. it or yeah I think that's very it. well said yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking that today about whether or not it's um, how much of it is my under my control. I mean, in a certain sense, nothing's under my control, you know. Right. And in another sense, everything's under my control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because if from from the small me, Hillary self, there's nothing really that's under my control, because the universe is just doing its thing mm -hmm. all the time, and I'm just a part of it, you know. And from the big sense of the goddess or the universe or the big self or all these terms that you want it there's so many mm -hmm. different names for it you know then everything is under my control in yeah. that sense and and well, you do have a sense of that big self that's what I was kind of getting at earlier it's it wasn't just a matter of some you know pink perceptions and some relaxation of your body oh. there, there's a sense of a sort of a you know a larger yeah. self and and an individual self and, and yeah. You know, and there's sort of paradoxes that we could talk about, but the paradoxes all kind of resolve themselves happily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it started out though just being like a a letting go and a physical change. It just right. it started out being more of a um, more emotional wholeness, more physical wholeness and energy and mm -hmm. all those things. And then um, and that's all it really felt like. I mean, it it wasn't like I thought I was a different person or anything like that you know at first and now I just I'm just more and more aware as I go on that I'm not this body is all mm -hmm. that I'm everything and that um, and, I, and I might add that you know you and you are this body and you're very you have a very sort of adroit body or dancer you're, you know your body you, you haven't lost any sort of bodily skills no, no, it's not like I'm... I'm saying that I'm, I'm not, Yeah, I'm not walking around going, right. 
Where is my body? Well, I'm kind of anticipating, <laughs> I'm anticipating skeptics' questions who might yeah. feel that, you know, you're going to become, as you said earlier, airy-fairy oh, or, yeah. or kind of like become emaciated because you're so... Uh, and I, I've actually met people and know people... Yeah, that stop who, eating. Yeah, they stop eating. They had to be hospitalized because they said, I'm so spiritual, you know, I don't want to do anything so gross as eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing about this whole thing that I realized is that it has to be integrated physically. That's what... Maharshi and a bunch of people, a bunch of saints and gurus always said is it has to be integrated physically. Um, but the interesting thing to me was that I thought I was going to just, it was going to happen to me physically, mm -hmm. that I was just going to physically wake up one day and feel different. And that didn't happen, actually. Well, it sort of did in the dome. Yeah. Well, what happened was I decided to let go of an emotional thing yeah. that was in my way, and that that is what... Do you think you really decided that day in August of 08? Was it a decision or was it, did it seem like a decision and it was something that was just ready to happen? You could say it both ways, I yeah. think, because, I mean, of I mean, course, everything's supposed to happen, however. Could you have to do the same thing or, or maybe not? Probably know? not. I mean, yeah. I don't, everything happens the way it's supposed to happen when it's supposed, I mean, it's like, it's all going to happen the way it's happening, right? right. But, but I think that there was... A push that I gave myself for sure mm -hmm. and I think that that was being willing to confront what is there mm -hmm. and not be avoiding it or be attached to something else mm. it's just like that like willingness to just be there with the truth and yeah. it does seem like the fact that you and I've seen this in other people too the fact that you put a little bit of conscious attention on working some things out and you know attending to things that you had been ignoring and so on and you had a friend who was helping you do this and all that that seems to have had a powerful effect yeah I yeah. definitely would not be I would not be experiencing any of this if right. I hadn't done that and I'm not saying that it wasn't supposed to happen that way anyway right. but it just I, I wouldn't be here right now I would still be doing six hours of meditation <laughs> a day seriously yeah. I don't meditate you know more than a half hour a day right now right. and I'm I feel the same whether right. I meditate or not now, mm -hmm. which is another thing that I think is good for people to understand because it's a, you can see how it's kind of, meditation feels physical in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. You can feel a difference when you meditate, like when you sleep or when you eat or when you exercise. You get addicted to it. Yeah, and so um, it's, it's good to note that there's a difference now when I sleep or when I meditate you know, because it is a physical difference, but it was by, for me, it was by confronting my emotions that I got here, because I had too many emotions standing in the way of what is the truth, mm -hmm. which is that everything, I am everything, and there's no, there's no real limits, there's no boundaries, you know. Mm. About ten minutes ago, you said something about a lot of dramatic experiences still going on or something. Um, you remember that? Uh, yeah, what? yeah, I just, the other night, just I, I was thinking about, there's a, there's a whole worry situation in my family, right, where we worry forever, and it goes back many generations, you know, among mm -hmm. the women of my family, and I think people can relate to this generally, because most people have some anxiety, some nervousness, worry, fear, or something. Fear is one of those, like, really basic emotions that everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and I remember just thinking, I was lying in bed, I was just thinking about all the things I had to do the next day and my whole schedule and how I was totally packed with things, you know, 
and should I worry about this? I mean, I was, I was worrying about my cat just went outside and, you know, he's going to get stuck outside in the cold or something. And, and I was just like, I just, I don't want to worry about this anymore, you know? It's like I, I, I'm making a conscious decision that I don't want this anymore. And when you have a desire and you put attention on it and you, you do kind of make a decision in that mm -hmm. sense, I think it does really uh, prompt, mm -hmm. you know, the goddess or God or the universe to, to help you. Yeah. Kind of, like That's kind of interesting, you know, because of that great popularity of the secret a while back where, you know, oh, I desire this diamond necklace and it's going to come to me, or I desire right. this car, or I desire this big, really right. beautiful house. And it, there was a lot of emphasis on material things in that, in that, that right, movie. Right, yeah. And, you know, personally, and, and, and I, I think you would agree, a much more effective and perhaps fulfillable way of applying that principle is in, in terms of what you're saying, just sort of putting attention on on these you know inner um, attachments and so on and, and emotions and and whatnot that are binding us and thereby facilitating their release or resolution. Yeah, yeah. and what I've noticed is that the secret doesn't work for a lot of people mm -hmm. because they are expecting that if they desire things and they think positively, mm -hmm. that that does the whole job, and it's. It's the totally right way to start, but what I've noticed is that when you desire something, what comes up, what, what you start to feel is what's in the way of getting that, because mm. that's what you're supposed to put your attention on next, because right. it's like the universe gives you everything you need, you know, very simply if, if we know how to pay huh. attention to it, you know, it's like... That's interesting. So you're saying that if you have a desire, for, even for something material, I want a such and such, then the universe or God or whatever is going to say, okay, you want that? Well, here's what you're going to have to do first. Exactly. You're going to have to work yeah. this out and that yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, when I was the other night, when I was lying in bed and I was like, I don't want to worry anymore. I just don't want to worry anymore. Because it's one of those insidious things. I don't even realize how much I do it. It just permeates all of, you know, my family, my cult culture in general, I think, you know. But... Not um, Jewish, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's Irish. That's Irish. guilt. That's guilt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is my Irish ancestors who, who worried a lot. But I just, I think it's a pretty normal thing. And what comes up is all those feelings of binding myself, this, the fear that, that there might not be, that something might be wrong, you mm. know, or whatever it is, it's like there, it'll come up and you'll feel it. And by avoiding that, it actually makes it harder to get to where you're trying to go. Hmm. And when I feel my feelings is when I get these amazing breakthroughs, like these feelings of, hmm. you know, more awakenings and, and, yeah. uh, and like when I did that the other night, I said, I, I, I guess I was in a point where I could do this, but I said, I choose the goddess instead of that. I just kept mm -hmm. saying, I choose the goddess. And then I got all sorts of, you know, just amazing emptiness and lightness filled my body and and it hasn't gone away it's still there but it's it's integrating a little yeah. bit i think johnny gray you know who wrote the book mars venus men are from mars women are from venus yeah uh, he's an old friend of mine actually he um he, he one of his earlier books was called what you feel or what you can feel you can heal uh-huh and uh 
That's it. I never actually, I, maybe, I don't know if I read the book or not. I might have. But um, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. You know? It's just so hard. Nobody wants to do it because, I yeah. mean, who wants to feel their worst feelings, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a tendency, I don't know about other spiritual movements, but at least in my kind of upbringing in the TM movement, there's a tendency not to emphasize that so much, yes. not to put attention on that. It's more like, you know, what, what you put your attention on is going to grow stronger in your life. So you don't want dirt to grow stronger in your life. You yeah. Know, you want bliss and happiness to grow strong. So always mm -hmm. oh, put your attention on the positive. That's going to grow. But I'm, I'm not sure if that's paid off so well for some people. Yeah, I think you know? that's like half the picture, the putting mm. your attention on the positive. Because you put your attention on the positive and what you want, and then you just put your attention on whatever else, you know, is given to you, right? I mean, because yeah. that is what is in the way of you getting that usually and I don't know I it doesn't always make sense to me it's taken forever to get this to a place where I can even notice what I'm doing all the time and do and mm. you know because you you go through these unconscious emotional habits all the time and don't know it you know yeah and so you have to catch yourself at them <laughs> one thing I find I mean, I suppose one could take it to either extreme, and you have to kind of find a balancing point. Because on the other hand, one could wallow in, in self-pity or some kind of negative emotion and just really kind of indulge in it. Mm -hmm. You know, that might not be healthy either. But one thing I find is that emotions have a physical counterpart. And, mm -hmm. and maybe this is part of what you've been doing when you're working through stuff. But you're probably, correct, are you, you're not just working through emotions in the abstract, are you? I mean, are you also sort of noticing that there's something in your heart yeah. or something in your solar plexus yeah. or something in your head or mm -hmm. whatever that corresponds to that? And do you, do, you, do you kind of put your attention on the physical as, as part of the process of working through the emotional? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a very physical person, so mm -hmm. I always, it's kind of almost like a given to me that there's something physical correlated with everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I always have attention on those parts that hurt or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, in, in terms of wallowing, I think what it is is just keeping the perspective all the time mm. that um, you desire something and so you're getting there by doing that attention on what could be negative feelings and um, they might not be negative feelings. They might be other, you know. Mm -hmm. um, some people are totally, I guess there, there are some people, there's less of them, but I guess there are some people who just want to focus on the, emo the negative all the time, and they would have to get out of that, too, mm. in order to get, because it's like you're just getting into a pattern where you're attached to something, right? And you just have to start feeling everything that's there instead of just that thing that you're, in the cycle with, you know? In other words, don't put conditions on what you're willing to feel. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and people just, they limit themselves because they're, they're used to, they're more comfortable feeling certain things. Mm -hmm. But really, everything is there. In all creation, there's every feeling there. And um, the thing about feelings is that they're, in, they're underneath the physical and, according to Maharshi, at least right on top of the the conscious, you know, it's like consciousness becomes yeah, feelings and then becomes physiology. Uh -huh. And so they're always there and when we don't pay attention on them because we're such a materialistic society and everything, then they're getting avoided and they're, anything that you avoid just comes back, you know? Mm. Mm. Usually stronger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes back with more force. Right.
<laughs> you didn't get it the first time? Okay, how about this? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Alrighty. So where do you see where do you kind of see yourself going from here? Where do you how do you think things are going to unfold for you over the next year or two or three or four? Um, well, I in terms of just my inward experience, right? Yeah, the I whole, mean, mainly that. I'm just having a lot of experiences of being the center of creation and things coming out of me and going into me, mm -hmm. and. Um, and actually putting attention to my feelings makes that more intense, mm. which I think is interesting to note because my feelings then will be like going out of myself or um, things come into me, you know, it's interesting. But, um, but I mean, I just think that I'm just going to keep evolving and whatever that means for me. Like you said before, it's different for everybody, so there's mm -hmm. no way of knowing exactly what anybody's going right. to do or feel or experience and that's something that's really cool to me because I like the adventure of everything, yeah, you know, yeah. so I like to not know what's going to happen next, you know. Yeah. Um, and I like being my own individual. I'm not one of those people who just always didn't want to have a personality and didn't want to be an individual, you know, mm -hmm. like I like being the small self too and everything. And mm -hmm. But there's definitely, and I think it's like the universe has all these little points in it and they're like our little small selves, mm -hmm. and they have a certain way of filtering through the information of the universe, mm. or filtering through those qualities of the universe. And so... In other words, each of us is a filter, and we each filter in different ways. Yeah. Or, or maybe you could say... So each we're of each us like a, a slightly different we're like filter. A, we're each sense organs of the infinite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a, there's all these popular sayings. Right. I like that one, because, you know, I mean, every single sense organ has its unique way of sensing. And, and, and it's, if you think of it from a kind of a God's perspective or whatever, it's like God's mm -hmm. thinking, all right, I, I want to have th this marvelous, huge experience and all these individual expressions, all these individual beings are going to be different ways that I'm going to have it, different ways that yeah. I'm going to experience it. Yeah. You know? I feel it like things come through me hmm. almost. Like I feel that when I'm not blocking hmm. anything. And like what kind of things? The more that I evolve, the more... Just everything, everything like comes just through me. It's like flow, sort of. And a lot of it is feelings because I'm an emotional, you know, person and everything. So there's a lot of just different things coming through my heart center mm -hmm. is how it feels a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it just feels like the more that I grow, the more transparent the small self is, and all these different qualities get expressed in me. Mm. But they're still they still are shaped by my personality right. a little bit. Cause and probably always will be, Yeah, I would think. Yeah, because I mean, it's much more fun that way. I mean, yeah. if we were all sitting, walking around being the same person, I mean... Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, a lot of people have this awakening experience where they seem to say that they no longer exist as a person. And I'm always tempted to whack them over the head with something and say, well, now do you exist as a person? You know? <laughs> do you feel that? Well, I've had a little bit of that happen lately, uh -huh. um, but it, it doesn't last for right. me yet. I, kn I know that it's a lot of people in their books and such say that that's, and Maharshi said this too, it's a stage, you know, mm -hmm. he would call it Brahman consciousness, mm -hmm. and it's a stage of just really soaking in the universe, and the ego finally is kind of conquered in a sense because it, that small self isn't... Um, 
trying to grasp mm. things some anymore. That's horrified. how I understand it. I don't some people are horrified by that notion, though, because they feel that they're going to lose everything that's special and unique about them. Well, the way that I understand it, now this is not my experience yet, mm -hmm. but the way that I understand it is that it keeps going from there. You, you're not, you don't have a small self for a little while because you have to experience that, just like you have to experience uh -huh. all these other so things. So it's just a transitionary know? phase. Kind yeah, of, and yeah. then you are again yourself and all of these amazing, huh. huge qualities, you know. Yeah. I, I could only speculate myself. I mean, I've never had a, a situation in which I felt like and I've read books of people who have this, but I've never had that where you f I feel like, you know, where am I? You know, I, I can't identify or locate any sort of sense of individuality. I have had, I don't see how you yeah. could function if, if you were that way. Well, I've had the feeling um, of that, but not to the point where I couldn't, you know, get yeah. up. And, like, like I said, I think it's a change that's happening in me right now mm -hmm. where I'm becoming more and more dominated by the big self instead of the small mm. self, but it doesn't mean that I'm like never going to have an ego or that my ego is not going to try to attach to things or mm. that I don't have a personality yeah. or any of those things. It's just that um, the, some of the experiences I've had lying down in bed or meditating recently um, have just have been of a greater emptiness, mm -hmm. like a feeling, a physical feeling of greater emptiness. Mm and of light and just just lightness and that my small self isn't as important mm -hmm. um, and that's played out in the rest of my life in a certain sense if you want to get all you know if you want to investigate it it does play out in your everyday life because you kind of have these lessons these things happen to you where you're like do I care about this anymore do I do I want to be attached to this thing anymore you yeah. know and you just kind of decide that you you know it's not that important anymore I think one way of looking at it is if you if if thing if it's working out for you you know if your life is improving and you're happier and you feel like you're, you're freer and more fulfilled and everything's getting better in most respects then you kind of learn to trust the process Mm -hmm. And, you know, if this particular flavor of experience is going to be part of the process, then fine. And next thing you know, it's going to be this one. And next thing you know, it's going to be this one. And, and you don't kind of get too attached either to, you know, re rep repelling or grasping at any particular phase of the process. You're just mm -hmm. sort of like, oh, this is interesting and this is what I'm going through now and I'll enjoy it while it lasts and tomorrow it may be gone. And yeah, yeah, everything changes all the time. That's mm. true. It's not always going to be one way because we would get attached to that. Yeah. You know, if it was just one way. And I think the repelling is also a form of attachment. I mean, mm -hmm. in the way that I'm meaning attachment. Because any time that you're wanting to fit something into a box and say it's just this one thing. Yeah. Or um, I need this, you know. Mm -hmm. All of those things are, are being attached to something and and life will just keep smacking you, <laughs> smacking yeah. you over the head until you don't, you know, huh. you just don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I, I, I'm saying this stuff because I can think of people who have raised objections about the process of gaining enlightenment, uh, or whatever you want to call it, uh, in which they, you know, they, they'll take some particular aspect of, of it or aspect of, of descriptions they've read about it and kind of throw out the whole, throw out the baby with the bathwater because they, they think, well, that particular thing 
seems kind of creepy to me, even mm -hmm. though I haven't experienced yet, but I don't like the sound of it. Yeah. But therefore, I don't think this is something I want to go for. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yeah, I did that too. Did you? Yeah, I, I didn't want to be enlightened for a long time because it's an ego. I really think it's our ego senses Brahman as soon as we come in contact with, you know, whatever you're reading or listening to really boring lectures or whatever <laughs> was part of my, you know, uh -huh. my thing was I didn't want to listen to really boring lectures because, um, you know, I didn't want to become boring mm -hmm. and I didn't want to lose my personality and I didn't right. want to, you know, but that's, it was my ego fighting hmm. the becoming big, hmm. you know, instead of being small because that's, yeah. I think that's interesting because it's like always, it always happens. It's Mar always Marshy used to use an analogy. He used to say it's like a man's living in a hut, and he's gotten very accustomed to the hut. And then uh, he starts to venture forth from the hut, and he sees there's this palace he can move into. He starts going for the palace, and then he thinks, but wait a minute, my hut. You know, and so the tendency went, I better stay with what I'm comfortable in, you know, my hut. Yeah. I'm so used to it, you know, but maybe the palace is cool, but I don't know if I could, you know, too big for yeah, me. Yeah, and that's actually my experience with the whole process is just that, you go, I'm in a hut. Oh, I'm in a hut. Kind of like first, first step is awareness, you know, mm. like I'm in a hut. And then you go out of the hut and you're like, there's something more than this hut, no. <laughs> you know? And then you're kind of frustrated because you're like, I'm in a hut, but there's something more than the hut, you know? Right, right. And then, and then you start to move outside permanently to mm -hmm. the palace or whatever. But you, it doesn't, it's not like the smooth, like you just walk down the road and then you're yeah. in the palace, you know? You kind of like move to the palace and then you go back to the hut. <laughs> <laughs> and then you move to the palace again and you go back to the hut. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then you're like, maybe I'll go halfway. <laughs> it's just scary. It's just changing is scary. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, there's, there's even so many stories in the popular culture where, you know, people are sort of in, in some small thing and they take a risk you know, like Jack and the Beanstalk or whatever, they take a risk to go for something bigger and it's scary to do and everybody tells them they shouldn't. You know, what are you doing? You're crazy? You're giving up these beans or yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Whatever that, however that story went. Yeah, I really love archetypes and all mm. of those stories because I think those stories are things that actually, you know, are um, metaphors for all of life. You know, they, yeah. they exist on this very deep level for everybody. Um, huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I suppose we could babble on all night, but um, I think we've covered a lot of good stuff. Is there anything that you kind of uh, feel like we haven't covered, or that you think when you might get home you might realize, oh yeah, we should have talked about that, or anything like that? I, nothing occurs to me right now. I think the important thing that I would want like, to, for people to know is just that it just is a process for me that keeps going, and it just keeps going, mm -hmm. and I'm not like, you know, at this like, like, la, like enlightenment <laughs> place or something. And, um, and the other thing for me is just that I've noticed, and this is just part of my job in life, I think, is to notice when people are avoiding their emotions. Mm -hmm. And just that I got here from confronting my own emotions and, and just what was there, mm -hmm. just confronting my feelings of, you know, whatever's there at the time. And, so that, that was a big deal because in RTM movement they didn't explain that to me. Um, it was kind of like, Marshi does say something about when you meditate that you should 
focus on a feeling if you have it, like that you should put attention on a feeling if you have it. Um, but that's the only thing I ever heard, and it really wasn't anything like what I ended up doing because it's it's no. a hard process to like to feel what's there, you know, yeah. and to not associate it with your life. It's really hard, and it takes forever to really learn how to do it, you know. Mm. But it's really helped me a ton, and I wouldn't be here either. I wouldn't be, Where you, are. you know, having this interview with right. you right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you did it then. Thanks. <laughs> keep, do keep doing it. Thanks. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, we've been talking with Hillary Jordan. My name is Rick Archer, and the show is Buddha at the Gas Pump. Uh, we'll be producing a new one of these every week. And um, if you feel like you'd like to be on the show, or if you have any questions, or anything, there will be some titles at the end of the show. And I was just working through these with the producer uh, at the end, uh, I mean before we started. And there, there are a few things we'll put on the titles. There are actually more things than that. There's going to be a podcast and all sorts of things, but it's too much to put in the titles and have anybody copy it all down. So what I think we'll do is, you know, there are a couple of the titles you'll see there, like a, this, uh, a, a chat group and a Facebook page perhaps, or something or other. Maybe not that, but a chat group and, I don't know, my, there's always my email address and I'll be happy to send you a list of all the different... Facebook for enlightened people. Yeah, of all the different <laughs> things we're developing. Um, and uh, the, on the chat group itself we'll have links to these various things. Oh, one of the most important things is there's a YouTube channel where all of this stuff is being archived. And uh, we'll keep adding to that every week. And probably you're watching this on YouTube, a lot of people will be. But in any case, as you can see, this is rather informal, and uh, I thank you for watching, and we'll be seeing you next week.